Well, I have uh, thoroughly enjoyed this series. Uh, the series uh, has consisted of the seven statements in the book of John, the seven I am statements, and uh, we are making our way through these statements. This is the uh, sixth of the seven statements, and I was wondering if uh, any of you remember uh, what the first five statements were. Just you can do them at random. You can, you can say them out loud. Uh, those of you at Lake Mary and, and Waterford can do the same thing. I, we'll, we'll hear you or God will hear you some. some. But, uh, or 33rd Street. Just what, what are some of the I am statements? What, what have we uh, studied so far? Anyone? Light. I'm the light, right? I'm the what? Fine. Right, we haven't gotten there yet. Thank you for jumping ahead, Katie. Uh, anyone else? Bread. I'm the bread. Shepherd. Good shepherd. The, the way, yeah, the way is tonight and the gate, yes. Yeah, the five we've done, the light of the world, bread of life, the gate, the good shepherd. You missed one. Last week was the? Resurrection. Thank you. Well done. That's okay. Stars there. Uh, tonight we're going to do Jesus' statement, I am the way. Uh, I've always prided myself on a good sense of direction. I don't know how your sense of direction is, but I, I like to know which direction I'm going and, and uh where, where I'm headed. So I just, even when I'm a new place, I like, to, I like to figure it out. So I'd like to do a little experiment tonight if you join, join with me. And again, at Lake Marion Waterford, you can do the same thing. I'd like you all, please, to close your eyes. Just do it with me, please. Just close your eyes. And uh, I am going to ask you uh, to raise one of your arms up over your head, please. Okay. Thank you. I see those hands. Thank you. <laughs> And uh, what I would like you to do in the next two seconds and two seconds alone, and, and keep your hand after you're done doing what I said, I want you to point to the southwest. Do it now. Two seconds. Point to the southwest. Okay, keep your hands up and open your eyes. Okay. Most of you got it right. Some of you are a little bit off. Uh, I, I brought my compass with me just so I can guarantee... <laughs> Where we are, here it is. Okay, the southwest is right about there. Okay, that's it right there. Good for you. You know where you're going. I, I, I always want to get the uh, direction that I'm going. I want to know where north is. Um, before Google Maps, I was always trying to figure out where I was going, and, and, and uh, I, I wanted to have that keen sense of direction. Years ago, we had a uh, Christmas conference uh, between Christmas and New Year's, actually, with, with college students. And one of our activities, uh, we were in the Word, and, and uh, we were encouraging students. And one of our activities during that week was we had a, an afternoon of outreach. So we'd send people out. We'd send these students out, and we'd, we'd pair up, and they'd go in cars into neighborhoods, and we uh, would deliver some goods to, to uh areas of the city that would, that would need it, and we'd also have a chance to, to uh, communicate the gospel as people were open. So this afternoon, you know, we went out, there were, there were hundreds of us that went out, and, and um, you know, we were monitoring them as they came back, and uh, toward the end of the afternoon, one of my friends came to me and said, hey, we've got, we've got two students that uh, didn't catch their ride back, and, and we need someone to go get them. Would you go get them? And I said, Okay. Now, the conference is in Minneapolis. It's between Christmas and New Year's. The temperature barely hit five degrees below zero that day. And I had a beautiful 1972 baby blue Volkswagen Beetle with a pretty lousy heating system in it. But, you know, it's, it's, you know I could do it. So I went out, fired up that little four-cylinder engine, and went out, and I had the address, and I had a map. 
This is before Google Maps is for any GPS. I had a map, and that's all I needed, because I know the direction I'm going, right? And I found the street, and I had the address, and uh, I, I pulled you know, in, into the neighborhood where it was. It took me about 20 minutes to get there. It was one of these streets that stopped, and uh, Orlando has streets like this. It stops and then, then, then continues on uh, after several blocks. Uh, you have to go around a little bit to get to the street again. So I knew it might be a little bit difficult, but I found the street. I was really excited. And I drove up and down that street, found the extension of it, drove up and down that. I could not find the address where these two students were. I went I, up and down that street. I went up and down that street. It was probably about two, two, two and a half miles long, at least four times, looking for this address. The numbers were close, but I couldn't find it. Now, you would, you would ask me, Jim, why, why would you just go up and down? Why don't you just stop and, and, and make a phone call? This is, before, this is before mobile phones, but why wouldn't you stop and just make a phone call back to the hotel? And I didn't do that because I'm a male, okay? <laughs> I'm a man, right? And men, true men, don't ask for directions. Uh, a good friend of mine years ago told me, Jim, this is built into, into creation, uh, uh, the fact that men don't ask for directions. That's why God made millions of sperm and only one egg, because the sperm don't ask for directions. I, I, I would never say that, but my friend told me, and it, and it made a lot of sense to me, I, I want to tell you. So... Which way are you headed? Really, think about it. Which, which way are you headed? Where, where, where are you going in life? How, how is your sense of direction? Not just physical, but more importantly, what's your sense of direction relationally, professionally, emotionally, spiritually? When I went to the University of Toledo, I, I ended up majoring in German. And... Uh, uh, there was a German summer school that uh, some of us went to in Portland, Oregon uh, as an extension of our studies. I, I did that one summer and we studied uh, some literature and uh, part of the, the course there was about the German romantics in, in the 1800s. And uh, there was this, this statement that the German romantics and, and, and they wrote all, all, all this literature that, that, was, that was full of emotion and, and full of longing. And uh, the, the, German, the, the German statement that sort of summed up their writings was Vogansi, where are you going? And the answer was, immer nach Hause, we're always going home. We're always going home. We're always seeking where that home is. Our hearts are longing. We're all going somewhere, right? But are we headed in the right direction? And more importantly, and I think this is more to the point, too, is, is there a right direction to be going? I had a mentor of mine years ago. He said, Jim, you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. So where are you headed? I'd like us to look at our text. It's in your bulletins, or if you have your Bibles, pull, it, pull them out. We're going to look at John 14. And I'd like to read verses 1 through 7. If you've done the reading plan... Uh, and uh, we are encouraging you to do the reading plan through the Gospel of John and really through the whole year as we, as we look at the life of Jesus through the Gospels. If you if you've kept up with the reading plan, that you, you've, you've read these texts. And uh, so this will be by way of reminder to you or, or repeating it. But uh, it's starting with verse 1 of chapter 14. Jesus is speaking. Do not let your hearts be troubled. 
You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Verse 5, Thomas said to him, one of the disciples, Lord, we don't, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. This is the word of God. Now, I want to give some context to this passage because context here is very, very important. Because Jesus, in making these statements, there are some things that have happened in the previous chapter, in the previous moments before these statements that, that are, that are uh, necessary to shape and, and understand how important these words are. Uh, this statement's made in the midst of extremely troubling times. And, and Jesus' interactions with his disciples, I, I don't think there's a more... Uh, there, there's a more emotional uh, time with his disciples in terms of, of, of them really feeling some, some deep uh, emotions, deep sadness. There's deep disturbance going on. There's a devastating betrayal and the prediction of future betrayals just moments before Jesus made this statement. Judas Iscariot had got up from, from the, the meal where the disciples were and he went out as, as most of you know, to portray Jesus. And so with these 11 disciples left and Jesus himself, Jesus is, is talking uh, to his disciples in the latter part of, of chapter 13. He's asking them to love each other and, and everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Simon Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? The disciples, are, the disciples are concerned. They don't understand what's going to take place. And Peter's going, what's going on? Where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you, you cannot follow now, but you will follow me. And Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. And then Jesus turns to Peter. Peter, Peter the disciple who was the one who was the boldest, the most verbal, the obvious leader of this, this band of brothers that followed Jesus. And he says, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answers him and says, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Can you imagine what that felt like, not just to Peter, but to the other now 10 disciples who were there listening to it. Peter, the man. And all of a sudden, Peter wasn't going to be faithful. I think there was great pain, there was great hurt, there was great confusion. These men are troubled. And then Jesus now says, let not your heart be, let not your heart be troubled. I think disciples are demonstrating the human condition in asking the question that's been repeated through passing centuries, what do we do now? Because here, here, here are men who, they invested their whole lives, at least the last three years of their lives, in following a man that they felt could liberate the nation of Israel, that could lead them to a place 
that, that hadn't been, they hadn't been for centuries, back to a theocracy, back to freeing themselves of the Roman rule, back to having God be in charge of their land. And, and Jesus, they knew, was the man. That was their vision. And all of a sudden, they're, they're thinking, wow, this, that might not happen. This might not go the direction that we thought it would. You ever have one of those, what do we do now? Times, what do I do now? I've, I've had what do I do now times. Um, when I was in college, I had a what do I do now time after I took organic chemistry. Um, organic chemistry and I did not get along well. If you've ever taken organic chemistry, you know exactly what I mean. It is a really, really difficult subject, and I was a pre-med major up to that point. I, was, I, I got pretty good grades. I was excited about going to med school. I was going to be a doctor. I, I, I admired and admired to this day the abilities of, of physicians to, to heal people. I was all committed until I took organic chemistry. I'm not going to tell you what my grades were, but they would not get me into med school, I can tell you that. And I knew it. And you know what? I remember sitting down, sitting down uh, in, in my room where I was studying, and I, and I said out loud, what do I do now? What do I do now? And another what do I do now moment. Uh, I, was, I was dating a, a young woman who was in my early 20s, and, and we dated for several months. And, and uh, this sort of uh, uh, an off and on time. Uh, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do in terms of the relationship. I, I liked this, this young woman very much. And I remember one night getting on my knees and, and praying. I, was like, I said, God, okay. I'm ready, I'm ready to make a, a commitment, a, a full hard commitment to this woman, and, and, and I'm ready to go. I'm just, I, I want before you, I'm stating that first. I don't want to vacillate back and forth, I'm ready to go. And the next day, Mary Ellen Johnson broke up with me. The next day, <laughs> out of the blue, with me. <laughs> and I remember going back home, and I was thinking to myself, what do I do now? Have those moments? The disciples are overwhelmed. And they realize now things aren't going to happen as they'd hoped. <laughs> later, later on in this chapter, you, you, and uh, you've probably seen it in your reading down in verse 22 of, of chapter 14, you have three disciples who ask Jesus questions, Thomas, Philip, and then, then Judas. John explains very carefully, not Judas Iscariot, because Judas Iscariot by now had already left to betray Jesus. But the other, there was another disciple named Judas, and he asked this very interesting question. But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Isn't that a good question? If you are who you say you are, why don't you just proclaim it, do it? We'll be with you. Let's go. It wasn't happening the way they thought it would happen. For three years, these 12 men, now 11 men, who were left had followed the one they felt would lead them to a better world, probably the best imaginable. Now it was coming apart, one failed hope tumbling upon another, crashing into desperation that was now unimaginable. Here they are. That's when Jesus makes these statements. That's when Jesus begins once again, verse 1 of John 14, and he says, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, have faith. Believe also in me. 
So the text we're concentrating on, the I am statement here, is, is, is Jesus saying, I, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Uh, this verse is one of the most well-known and quoted statements of Jesus. If, you, if you've read any uh, uh, of the Bible and worked through John, this, 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 this statement sort of leaps out of the pages. It's also one of the most controversial when it comes to religion and religious differences. And it begs the question, uh, are you saying that Jesus is the only way to God? And I want to save that question for a bit later, but I want to first talk through why Jesus chose this time to communicate these words to his disciples. Because I believe his words here in John 14, culminating with, with this statement, I am the way, is our antidotes. They're, they're, they're there to bring healing to troubled hearts. My wife, um, a few years ago, found uh, the, uh, uh, this article on essential oils, and she thought, hey, you know, that might be something that, that we could do, and, and uh, uh, since then we have a lot of essential oils. I didn't know there were that many oils that were essential, but we've, we've got them. And, um, and I, I, I was fascinated, and she enjoyed them, she, she appreciated them, she told me they were really good, and I said, okay, and, uh, I, uh, but I, you know, I never really tried one until recently, and I had some, I had some uh, difficulty with some pain in part of my body, and she said, try this. And she had this little concoction she made up in this jar, and, I, and you know what, I tried it, and it, it really helped. I, 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 I know the advantage of essential oils. It, it, it eased my suffering. It was an antidote. Jesus' words are an antidote. They're an antidote for three things that I see here. First thing is obvious. They're an antidote for a troubled heart. Let not your hearts be troubled. Let me ask a question tonight. What's troubling your heart? What's troubling your heart? What is it, what is it that, is, that is absolutely got you just bound up? And every time you think it's, you, you've dealt with it, it just sort of comes back. What's, what's troubling your heart? Fears, disappointments, difficult and fractured relationships, health problems, financial challenges. Perhaps like the disciples, you're worried that your future is irrevocably going in, in the exact opposite direction that you'd hope for. What's troubling your heart? Years ago, I was in a West African country. I was on the end of a mission trip that I took, and uh, I'd stopped in this country to visit uh, a couple who were friends of mine who, who had been there, Americans who had been there for, for years uh, doing ministry. And I was just there for one day, afternoon, evening. In the evening, uh, I was going to have a meal there, and they were going to take me to the airport. I was going to take an overnight flight back to the States. And uh, the husband said to me during the course of the evening, you, uh, I don't know if you hear, but there's, there's a lot of ruckus going on in our, in our city. I said, what's going on? He says, well, there's, there's uh, elections going on, and, and uh, it's been a pretty troubled time in our, in our country. Uh, different factions are fighting, and, and uh, there's, it's, it's, it's been quite concerning to us. And... Uh, 
I listened to the crowd noise and it got louder and louder. I said, are, are, are they coming this way? He says, well, sometimes they do make it into our neighborhood. I said, do they like Americans? Uh, because I was an American and I wanted to know. And he said, sometimes they do, sometimes. And here's, here's what I felt and I, they took me to the airport later on, it was fine. But I remember feeling, you know what? I just wanna go home. You ever have that feeling? When your hearts get troubled, I just want to go home. What Jesus promises the disciples, and he promises us in this passage, is that we ultimately have nothing to worry about. Nothing. Whatever is troubling your heart, whatever it is, it's already been addressed. It's been addressed by the one who came to lead you and me home. C.S. Lewis says, our lifelong nostalgia, our longing to be reunited with something in the universe from which we now feel cut off is the truest index of our real situation. It's, it's this longing we have. Those German writers, even though they sort of missed the spiritual component, they had it right when they said, oh, there is this longing. We've got to go home. Jesus and I was, as I was studying this passage, I, I, I realized this, and it, it was pretty sobering to me. Jesus, of all the people in that room, Jesus was the one who was suffering the most. Jesus was the one who had the most troubled heart. Jesus was the one who knew that he had to go and suffer and hang on a cross. And yet Jesus, in his love, and commitment to those men, Jesus gave these words of comfort. Antidote for a troubled heart. They're, the words are antidote for an aimless life. You going somewhere with nowhere to go? Do you ever have that feeling? Got to go somewhere. I don't know where I'm going. You know, it dawned on me recently, I, I don't know... I don't think retirement is a healthy goal for me. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm technically, I guess I'm in retirement years. I, I don't know what they, those are anymore. I don't know if that's a healthy goal because I, I don't know what I'm going to do when I retire. You just, I don't know what. I, I have, in all my, my friends, I have one friend who's retired, who, who, a lot of people have retired and done well, but this guy just seemed to do it right. He, he worked for a company for 30 years and uh, is a brilliant guy, wrote, rose the ranks of the company, just did a superb job, retired in his, in his mid to late 50s, had, had his whole financial situation set up, uh, moved to Florida, and um, just a committed believer, volunteers in his church, served for his children, his grandchildren, and, and he's just done it very, very well. And I've just always admired that. I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. I like that. So here's what I did. I did a little retirement experiment. I took a day of the week and said, you know, I'm going to stop my work day at 1 o'clock on Tuesdays. That's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to take the rest of Tuesday off. That's what I'm going to do. It's the first time I did it. I was all excited with myself. I go, oh, man, it's Tuesday at 1 great. So I got home, I ate lunch, I took a nap, I went for a walk, 
And I read something, and it was 2.30. <laughs> and I'm going, what do, what, what do I do now? I, I, I hadn't planned, I hadn't thought through where I was going. Where are you going, really? Where are you headed? Antidote, antidote for troubled hearts, antidote for a nameless life. These words are an antidote for broken relationships. Probably the most important broken relationship that you and I have as we enter this world, and that's our relationship with God, our Creator. What Jesus offers to his disciples, his followers, those of us that put our faith and trust in him, is a relationship with the Father. Zach, uh, a few weeks ago, uh, was giving a message, and I, I love the statement that he made uh, in the course of this, this sermon. He said, when, when we turn to religion, we are in control Jesus came to give us a relationship with God, not to establish a religion. Let me repeat that, because I thought it was profound. Well done, Zach. When we turn to religion, we are in control. Jesus came to give us a relationship with God, not to establish a religion. Jesus invites these men. I don't think they'd ever really seen it very clearly before. He invites them in, hey, I am going to provide you with a way to God the Father. I spent a good portion of my week doing counseling, and uh, there are all sorts of people with all sorts of issues that come in to see me. I, I don't do a lot of counseling uh, of children, but I, I have done some. And uh, there is a uh, psychological condition uh, that's, that has the, the an acronym SAD. Uh, it's uh, called Separation Anxiety Disorder. And it can happen to young children all the way, children all the way into their adolescence. Uh, you know, I've seen uh, people, in their, uh, kids in their mid-teens suffer from this. And, and separation anxiety disorder is, is, is an unrealistic and inordinate fear of when, it, when, when the parent leaves the presence of the child that, that somehow they're never going to return. And it's all the emotion that comes with, oh, I'm going to lose my parent. I'm going to lose that relationship. It's a, and it's really not an easy condition to, to treat. It takes reassurance. It takes, it takes uh, a lot of work to get inside someone's head who suffers from that, that no, you're not going to be abandoned. The disciples here are dealing with the thought that they're going to be abandoned. Jesus is leaving them. It's extremely emotional. But with these words... Jesus is, is reminding them that he, he, he assures us we will, we will never, ever be alone. What he's saying is you will never, if you follow me, you will never be separated from the Father. Never. But what about this statement, I am the way, no one comes to the Father but through me? Let me just say just a couple quick things on that. The question is, isn't this sort of elitist and dismissive of other religions? And I, I with my whole heart, believe it is not. And, and I believe it is not for three important reasons. First of all, the call to follow Jesus is never exclusionary, ever. 
Whosoever will, the old King James translation I love, whosoever will may come. Jesus' last words in the New Testament recorded by, by John in, in the book of Revelation, he says, let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life, come. The invitation is not just to select individuals, it's to everyone. It's never exclusionary, it's never elitist. This isn't an elitist call, this isn't an elitist religion. Uh, Jesus says very clearly to disciples, words like this, Mark 9, 35, anyone who wants to be the first must be the very last and the servant of all. That, that's the call. The call isn't to be above anyone. The call is to be the last in line because we're called to serve. It's never exclusionary. It's never elitist. And it is never easy. Whoever wants to be my disciple, Jesus says, must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Zach preached on it. It's a narrow gate that leads to a narrow path. And it is not easy. It's not easy. It's wonderful, but it's not easy. Now, there's nothing elitist or dismissive in this statement. It's an invitation to heal what is broken. If you're heading anywhere other than toward the Father, you're going to end up in the wrong place. I was driving around that street in Minneapolis. Finally, I just, I've, after like the fifth time up and down that street, I refused to make the call. I said, I'm just going back to the hotel. Send somebody else. Not a very godly response, but, uh, you know, I was tired and I was really cold, too. So I got back. I remember pulling up to the hotel and uh, Bruce Oban, you remember, it's interesting how you remember certain names of people in your life. Bruce Oban was the guy who, sent me out. He was there with these big wide eyes right at the entrance of the hotel. I didn't even hardly get out of my car. He ran up. He said, I gave you the wrong address. There is no address that I gave you. And he gives me the right address. And he says, will you? I said, I just took it out of his hand and went and picked those kids up. Got them. Brought them back. If, if, if you don't have the right address, folks, you're not going to end up anywhere. If you're not headed toward the Father, you're not going to end up where you were created to be. C.S. Lewis, in his last novel, Till We Have Faces, he, he makes this statement, one of the, uh, the, the characters in his, his novel the sweetest thing in all my life has been the longing to reach the mountain, to find the place where all the beauty came from, my country, the place where I ought to have been born. Do you think it all meant nothing, all the longing? For indeed, it now feels not like going, but like going back. Jesus says, I made a way back to the Father. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. So where are you?
you need to make that commitment? Do you need to make that commitment to say, okay, that's the man I will follow. You can do that right now, today. And for those of us who already made that commitment, just because you start out heading for the Father doesn't mean you can't get distracted and lose your way. In times in my life where I've gone off to, to this way or that way, not really understanding that, nope, I need to keep heading toward the Father. So which way are you headed? Let's go back to the Father. Jesus, he made the way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son. And thank you for his compassion, not just for these 11 men. 11 men who you used to change the world. But the compassion he had for us. And I pray for myself and each person here that we would hear those words and not allow our hearts to be troubled because you are the one who's going to provide a way. Thank you for that way. Thank you for your life. And thank you for your son, in whose name we pray. Amen.